you keep trying other things and other angles. And a lot of times the failures are how you find the next movement forward. Welcome to the Surface and Panel podcast, your digital symposium. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Don Casebeer and Patrick Adams. This episode is sponsored by Uniboard. Uniboard, redefining wood. So away we go. Another Surface and Panel podcast. We are super excited to have Don Casebeer, president of Beerson Corp with us today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you. So uh, how are things uh, How are things going up there in uh, beautiful South Oregon? Um, it's It really is a beautiful time of the year. A fall in Southern Oregon is great. We have, um, you know, it starts to cool off in the mornings, still get nice heat in the afternoons. So it's a beautiful place. I, when we say Southern Oregon, most people will think we're, we're within an hour or something of Portland, but we're four hours. We're about 20 minutes from the California border. So we live in a place called the mythical state of Jefferson. So uh, <laughs> there's a, the whole Jefferson thing goes way back. And uh, it's basically north of San Francisco and south of Eugene. We're way out here in the middle of a beautiful area in the Redwoods and uh, Crater Lake, the Cascade Mountains. It's it's a beautiful place, but it's a long ways if you want to go to a baseball game or a football it's, game or something. You're a long ways, yeah, six, yeah. yeah, six hours drive to the bay. But no, yeah, beautiful. I'm, I'm I'm very very familiar with uh, with the whole area and and funny story. I my my wife hadn't traveled much. We've been together a long time, and she said, "Oh, I want to go on a road trip, and you know, I want to see the state." So, All right, cool. Let's uh, let's leave Southern California and we'll head to to Portland. So, you know, like a lot of people and, you know, Oregon's the same way as California, you know, they're, they're kind of concentrated around the urban centers. And so everybody thinks California, Northern California is San Francisco and it stops at San Francisco. So right. we, we, we blow through San Francisco and we're still driving north. And she goes, so, so how much longer to Portland? I go, probably about a day. She's like, what, a day? Like, what, what are you doing? So, you know, we cross the, the, you know, into Oregon. And she's like, oh, okay, so so we're almost to Portland. I said, no, no, not even, not even close. <laughs> not even close. So yeah, I, I mean, so of course, you know, a ton of beautiful country, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh it's it's LA, it's uh San Francisco, and then you're straight to Portland, right? Right. We're everything in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, us. All, all, all the good stuff. Well, listen, it's uh it's great to have you here. Um, you know, I, I've done uh, quite a bit of background on on Beerson, and I'm just absolutely blown away by um, just the creativity and the quality and the amazing things that your team produces. So, I mean, for those that aren't in the know, you know, give give them the update on on who Beerson is and what you guys do. What makes you great? Okay. So, I, what makes us great first is the people that work here. So I've, I've got a crew of guys um, and gals that have worked for me um, over time, some all the way back to their fathers. So business-wise, I've got guys that work for me um, 20, you know, 20 years. Um, so you, you get a level of commitment on products. It's family. Um, we have uh, uh, guys that care about what they're doing. They don't need supervision. When you think of um, somebody standing over someone watching them work, they come to us and say, what do you think about this? How do we do that? We're working, um, you know, because of that, you don't have an environment um, where you have to, where you have to spend a lot. 
a lot of time worrying whether or not somebody's going to bring up an issue with you. Um, and that's, that's, uh, and I've been at it, you know, I'm, I'm 59 years old. That happened last week and, uh, it really happens fast. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but I've been working in the, um, wood products industry since, um, well, you know, it goes, I go all the way back. You know, my dad was in logging. So your dad was in it. My dad, my grandfather was with Pacific Lumber Company in Scotia. My brothers were born okay. in the company hospital. You know, so we go way back uh, as so, far as so, wood products. So, so you're on the the logging side of the business. You you just lumber, got in lumber, yeah. lumber, plywood, logging, all the way back. My dad's in National Geographic for finding the world's tallest tree. You know, 367 foot tall redwood, mm -hmm. right behind our house. You know, in, no in, kidding. Yeah. Wow. I grew, yeah, I grew up in a logging camp on the on the Humboldt County coast called Big Lagoon. It was George Pacific yeah, Company. I know it. So yeah. that's that's where I grew up. And um, so then as we moved. they say, sawdust is in your veins. Yeah. And that, that so I've been around it. You know, I can actually I can remember, you know, my earliest childhood memories are I can smell the the sawmill <laughs> and right. uh, see the trees. So um, wood products and the processing. When we started Beerson Corporation, we had been you know, I had a really good background in manufacturing from the millwork industry. And we had produced products for Morgan Door, Anderson Windows, and mm -hmm. uh, and not not a small. We we're shipping at the peak of my dad's business. We we're shipping 50 truckloads a month of door okay. components. Wow. So, you know, a, a real significant. And when I say door components, I mean everything from pre-cut glass bead, mitered glass bead, veneered styles, veneered rails and veneered panels. Right. And, and that, that comment about veneered panels, that was kind of the last progression of what we were doing to stretch the old growth Douglas fir. Mm. Um, in, the, in the millwork business, we were buying lumber from as far north as British Columbia and as far south as Fort Bragg and bringing it into Southern Oregon, drying it in our dry kilns. We had dry kilns in Eugene and in Medford and um, up to 5 million board feet a month of Doug wow. fir, green Doug fir. And in that, we couldn't get enough. We have to reach further and further. So I started pushing the envelope on um, veneered components, slicing okay. and, and splicing veneers and doing that to make the door components. In the process, I'd seen a membrane press. This was about 1988. Okay. I saw a little Iber press made in Spain. Right. It was about the size yeah. of a desk, a desktop size. Right. And some guys were pressing veneer on on a particle board for uh, kitchen cabinet inserts at a company up in Portland. I saw this press and then, you know, this is my nature. I'm kind of like all of a sudden I am like a, you know, like a bullet. I'm focused. I'm trying to, you know, learn everything I can. So I end up in Germany going from factory to factory. I love factory tours, but I'm going from factory to factory seeing getting tours of these Vemhoner membrane presses in over in um, Germany and in down into Italy and and in France saw about nine different plants and wow. the Ger the German guys keep saying to me I'm trying to solve this veneered double-sided veneered raised panel for the insert panels in a style and rail door and the Germans keep saying hey you could press plastic with this you know look at they keep showing me you can press cap plastic 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 and uh, uh, you know PVC doors um, catching cabinet doors and, and uh, door panels for uh, BMWs and Mercedes. You know, you can form this material with these machines. And I'm telling them, look, don't, don't do that. <laughs> I need to focus. I'm focused on my, you know, wood, wood, wood. Yeah. So uh, 
made the decision. I built a plant along with our millwork plant to make the veneered raised panels. But I did go ahead and buy a router, <laughs> a CNC uh, hey. router. And hey, we'll be able to, no, not a hay in at the time. Uh, did I say hay in? No, anyway, I bought it. I bought a router, a shoulder router, and we'll we'll make some of these kitchen cabinet doors kind of as a little side thing. Okay. Oh, oh my. <laughs> we made a few, and the next thing you know, we're selling three of the top 10 kitchen cabinet companies in America. Wow. Homecrest, Aristocraft. Um, gosh, I can't remember now. It's the third. But anyway, I sent my sales guy, said, hey, go call in the top 10, whoever that is. Find them, call on them. Sure enough, we're selling them, and we're in no time, we go from zero to a half a million dollars a month of kitchen cabinet doors. Wow. Yeah. So from 1989 till 1995, my dad sold the whole company, which progressive panels was what we called it. We were like, hey, we're going to start this panel processing. We're going to call it, what are we going to call it? We wanted to be aggressive. We're young guys. Yeah, <laughs> and we wanted yeah. to be forward. We're like, yeah. okay, we'll call it progressive panels. So, like you know, great company, was a ton of fun. Um, I learned a lot about, you know, membrane pressing and CNC machines. So we went from, you know, just a handful of, of understanding just how to run a router to we really um, revolutionized how you made CNCs work for that process. You know, okay. we're talking 1989 and 1990. Yeah, those were the early days, yeah. Yeah, it was Ed Shorma at Primewood. Was Ed was the lead guy. He was the first guy to have a Van Honer press. And I think Contact Lumber had bought one over in Prineville, Oregon. But they really didn't, you know, it's kind of like a lot of guys, they got it. And then they're like, what are we going to do with it? You know, it was right. really cool. So they buy it. Right. <laughs> it's cool, cool techie <laughs> machine. It's and a cool then toy. It, it, and I don't think they ever really found, you know, they never got into the door business. And, but anyway, so I think we had the third uh, Van Honer shipped into the U.S., and we ran the, uh, you know, we ran the the, the membranes ran off of it. Wide open. Yeah. We got we got to where we're running our routers, uh, two shoulder routers, um, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, four rotating crews, um, wow. custom custom kitchen cabinet doors, any size, any any lead time, one day, three day, seven day. So we would wow. make your door today, but you paid a premium because what was happening is. You know, a guy's put in a kitchen, he gets there, he's installing it, he ruins a drawer front. He mm -hmm. wants the drawer front. If you want it tomorrow, we'll make it today, ship it today. You might not get it because of FedEx till tomorrow, but we'll make it. But it's going to be really expensive, you know. And, and it was, and a lot of guys needed to. You got a $25,000 kitchen, you got to get it finished, and you're missing one drawer front. You will pay what you got to pay to get that drawer front if you can. Right. So that was kind of our business model. And, uh, that took a lot of software development, which, um, you know, and back in the 1990s, we were using, a, a, you know, a group of things to actually accomplish. We had barcoded system, serialized part numbers. So we serialized every part and every part in your kitchen was, we could run your kitchen with six other kitchens. The press and you scanned it, you knew to put it on pallet for Patrick. And Patrick's right. kitchen is coming through with other kitchens can be completely different door styles. But if it has the same finish, we're going to run it at the same time. Um, okay. So it's a lot of fun. You know, I mean, I, I get, you know, I'm, I get totally jazzed about talking about process. And, and that comes from the millwork background that I had of problem solving, finding a way to make something. And, um, right. 
the kitchen cabinet doors was a fascinating um, it, you know, experience for us. And we grew that business. In 1995, my dad sold the company. And it was going to be the best thing, boys. This is, you know, we're going to sell the company. I'm thinking, you know, when I came to my dad's company and uh, out of college, um, he didn't think I could sell. And I'd been a wholesale lumber guy in Southern California and made a ton of money. But okay. he wanted me working. So I okay. ran the millwork. I ran the millwork plant. Um, when we started our millwork business, we were under $100,000 a month. And within, I think, five years, we went from under hundred to over $2 million a month. And, um, and I did the sales, but I'm not a good salesman. What I am is so seriously, <laughs> I'm not, I have, a, I have, a, I have great salespeople, right? My brother is fantastic people person, but what I am is I love to find a solution. So where my sales come in is if I get into someone's business and, and I listen and hear what they need, then I'm going to work like crazy to figure out how to do that. Right. And, and, and when that, when that comes together, with a company who is looking for somebody to find a solution for them, then great. You know, I can, I, I get to get what I love to do d going. Um, yeah. I don't really love going out and being a salesman in the sense of just right. pure sales. I will. Um, but mostly I, I love the challenge of figuring out how to make something or, or improve a process. So, so yeah, my, 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 when I left my dad's company that we had sold, um, my brothers and I decided we're going to go off. I want to start my own company. So I, I want to start my own company. I don't want to work for someone else. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and, and it's cool. But, you know, for me, I, I have a different, I kind of march to a different kind of drum. I right. love, I, I'm not so much, and I, I guess a lot of guys have criticized me on this one, and I, I get it. But I'm not motivated by, I'm not trying to make a lot of money. Right. Okay. I've done that, and I've been there. and. Yep. You know what? I have right all of my needs are are yes. more than are more than met. I, yep. What I love is I love um, the challenge and making right. things. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, but well, sure, money's. It's some guys say, oh, well, then money's not important. Well, no, money is important because it's how you measure whether or not. And if you don't sure. have a certain level, you're not going to stay in business. But but it's to a certain degree. I, I mean, right. once your needs are met and your family's taken care of, more doesn't equal more happiness. No, if definitely not. It comes not. to the expense of doing the things that you enjoy. Right, definitely not. So we so when we started this company, um, my largest customer, the vice president of Morgan Door, was a guy named Pete Tronquet, and I told him, I said, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to I'm going to start my own company. And he said, Well, I want I want to go with you. This is my customer. He says, "Hey, I want I want to be with you." And I said, "You I don't know if you know what that means. I mean, we're talking about starting from scratch and we'll just be a little company and I really really um wanted to have a small business. I didn't want we had at the time right. our business was two over 200 employees, uh, up to 300 employees. Right. You know, 50 acres and you know, yeah. it's uh, you know, I'm signing paychecks for like, you know, for, you know, got a stamp <laughs> you're, right. you're stamping paychecks, yeah. and, you know, payables and paychecks. And, and it's like the part I loved about the business isn't the part I was getting to be so much involved with. It got to be more bureaucracy. And right. so um, even though, uh, so it, with Beerson Corporation, what we did is we said, we want to go out and take this technology and go be more focused on process improvement which Dr. Dimming, I'm not sure if you're a Dimming fan, but yeah. so I, I basically have three guidelines for business. 
One is Dr. Deming's work, which okay. is process improvement, you right. know, that, that quality and understanding variation. Second is Eli Goldratt's um, constraints. basically theory of constraints. And yeah. third is third is my my Judeo-Christian background, you know, as being a Christian is that I look at how I treat people and how we look at other people and realize, you know, everybody is better than me at something. Right. Everybody, every yes. employee I have trying to understand the value. And, and Dr. Deming was fantastic at this of saying everyone has a gift. And if you can be looking to figure out what is that <laughs> instead of saying, oh, I found what this guy can't do and I'm going to beat right. him up for it. Yes. Right. But to say, I've got employees that have talents and they're better than me at something. And if I can find that thing, then I can make a really great team. Right. Right. So so that part, um, we say we say we have four things here. We want to be innovative. We want to be on time. We want to be others minded and we want to be quality conscious. Those are our four. You know, those are the three things that we, we talk about and that we want to be aware of that knowing that um, being on time means a lot to your customers. Sure. Right? So when somebody tells you, hey, we're going to ship it on this date. And, and people put you in a tough spot. They want it shipped when it's really tough to get it. When right, it's right. hard to it's hard to get it made by that date or whatever the sure. or whatever those are. We need to be focused on getting that done for the customer. Um, to be I mean, those, those are those are big you know goals and and yeah, I mean they getting copied on websites and and you know I I think a lot of people would gloss over those goals, but. You know, I, I'm sure you're experiencing the same thing that you did, you know, at your dad's company, right? You know, of, of scaling and growing and sometimes growing faster than than you expected. And, and all of those are, are amazing, you know, gifts to have. But they're also in some cases contradictory to goals like you have. So and, and then even deeper and more complicated, as I see it anyway, you look at, you know, you don't create an assembly line of spec production products, you know, that yeah. just get inventoried by the tens of thousands being ready to ship to your customer when they place a PO. Like everything it feels like is this one-off work of art that's that's amazing, right? And and yeah. you know, I'm 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 truly amazed. I'm I'm not trying to, you know, just blow smoke here. I mean, the things you create, even like the panel behind you. Is, yeah. is art and and it's 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 a one-off so as you grow how do you how do you maintain scale of one-offs well that that is i guess one of the the great things on dr dimming's um <laughs> work i'll go back to is that you know you when you look at process then you you aren't looking at making the part you're identifying what does it take to make the part, right? What is What are the steps? What are the tools that you need? And then how you use the machine and the man and the method and the material. You, you look at those, those elements that go into a process and you say, well, what do we have? What do we need? And what can we do differently? And how can we mix up the order of how we make these things? So um, we've got to make, in the, in the first, um, like 300 days, we made 1,200 prototypes. We make a prototype. If we 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 tour, we usually make 
um, two, three prototypes every day while we're running production. So we get quotes. We are asked to make a mock-up. A lot of times they don't ask us um, to, make, to make a prototype. They just want a price. And I rarely like to give price without showing them what they're going to get. So, so, uh, so you're actually making two, three, four versions of something that end up usually going nowhere. Yeah. At least two or three of the four end up going nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's part of that's and, and for us, we know that each time we go around this this circle of process um, improvement, which is plan, do, study and act. We call it PDSA. Right. That's that's the dimming um, or Dr. Schuert. I don't know if you know Schuert, but Schuert's kind of Deming's uh, mentor. But plan, do, study, act is you try to look at what you're trying to accomplish and you do it on as small a scale as you can. Mm. So you you make a plan and then you do it on a small a scale as you can. Mm. Less risk, you know, example, I would I was trying to figure out how to uh, miter fold a bunch of desktops. So I take a piece of cardboard to a machine, not a real part, and I say, will it fit in this machine? Can we use this old 1970s door clamp to clamp desktops okay. that have a return? We made thousands of these miter folded desktops in this door clamp that is not designed for that, that I dug out of a boneyard out in Pennsylvania to make some a bunch of other product. It totally taking a machine that was designed for one thing, using it for another. But we did the test on a pro small scale with a piece of cardboard. So we cut a piece of cardboard to the size of the desktop. We fold the cardboard where we would miter fold the part. And we see if we can fit it into this clamp somehow. And we yeah. used ratcheting. We used ratcheting straps. I went to every hardware store in Southern Oregon. I was at Home Depot, Coastal, Lowe's, you know, everywhere. And I bought up all of the ratcheting straps to, <laughs> you know, and this, this kind of thing happens on a small scale. And then you, then you test and then you stop and say, okay, what didn't work? And then we come back and we do it again. So process improvement is not like I have a good idea. So if you're like me, I have a good idea always. I never think I have a bad idea. Right. It's not until I try it that I find out that my idea was not so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I'm, I am the idea guy and a lot of them don't work. But you keep trying other things and other angles. And a lot of times the failures are what you are, how you find the the next the next movement forward and which, and, the, which some, and and some would argue that you know that that is a massive investment in experimental time that doesn't have a return on investment to the project that you're actually working on right because if you're right. doing three four experimental prototypes for a quote that in some cases they may say no to them all and and you may get no business or you they may just sample four of the four so the time you spent doing the other three is is technically if you were talking to you know um accountants i was about to call them bean counters you know they they, they they would say well that's a loss and and you know six sigma i would come in here i would look at all this and i would say wow you're you're really bleeding a ton of money here you know doing all these prototypes you should not do that but but guys like us, you know, sit back and say, yeah, but the lessons that I'm learning and doing all these things 
create efficiency and opportunity in the other projects unrelated to those? The, the other, I think, is we have a certain, we have a level of confidence that we can find a way. Right. Yeah. You know, we get drawings all the time of things we've never made. <laughs> right. And we have no idea how we're going to make it. Right. And it's when they get thrown in, you know, when it's set down in front of you and say, can you make this? Right. Um, and then it's, then you, you look to the toolbox and that toolbox is all of that experience of how you solved previous problems. And you might cobble it together different, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there. Uh, yeah. different process steps. Um, See, I, I, I love this because, you know, what it sounds like you've created in, in your company's culture is this, uh, this adventurous mindset of, of problem solving, but equally there's, there's really no such thing as a mistake, right? There, there's just learning opportunities. Yeah. And, and so as a result, when, when what what I like to say is when when life happens, so like when when a COVID lands in your lap in in February and the whole world changes, well that that isn't a catastrophe. That's just a problem. Yeah, just it is. Yeah, we and we've yeah we've had a great you know this has been a very good cycle of business for us. It's right. been business been strong. We went from manufacturing you know, things that were going into restaurants to all of a sudden we're flipped and we're making crates for medical imaging film that we did. We had an order that ran for 20 weeks straight, CNC machine running hard, um, inch and a half MDF and plywood and a bunch of components to make this 6,000 pound rolls of medical imaging film shipping uh, to Asia for x-ray film, right? Chest x-rays. So guess why you need checks x-rays? No kidding, right? People yeah. are, so there's this huge demand and we are producing crates to put these um, rolls into uh, trucks to get them down to the Bay Area so they can transport them into containers. So these had to be very stable um, LVL, laminated veneered lumber. Do you know what yeah. that is? Yeah, So LVL four by fours kind of Lincoln logged with inch and a half MDF and two by four LVL on the top. And then this, this crate is basically an end, you know, a saddle to hold that roll. Right. Hold. And uh, so, so we made- background came in handy with that. Yeah, yeah. And so we may, and, and then CNC tooling, you know, to uh, some of that, I think we posted a little bit of it, little video of one of us running those, but, you know, we were making, um, we made over 2000 sets of those Wow. And there's there's a lot of parts. It's a lot of truckloads of MDF and lots and lots of truckloads of LVL. Um, but that during that COVID um, lockdown, that was critical. They needed that. We'd never made anything like those, right? right? The guys just came right. down and said, "Can you do this?" And so, well, give me a drawing and let me look at the drawing, and then we went to work on how can we build this, you know, crate. Yeah. So that, and it's it's been fun, you know, and then it's done and it's over. It's gone. Right. We're not making yeah. it right now. But the process of learning how to make it and to improve the process. And I, I like to say in a process, you want to focus on something you're going to do once. You've got to just do it. But any any process that you look when I look at something, we say, hey, we're going to do so many thousand of these or, or hundreds of these. We're going to be on it for a little longer time than just a quick short run because a lot of things are short. Um, but if we have a longer run, I say you have to we need to stop and focus about thinking, 
any larger project, we need to improve early and often, right? So when I look at a large order, we don't say, oh, we got it running, just let it run, right? You got it working and, and it's starting to come off the, off, off the process, out of the process. Right. right. I, st- I will, and to, you know, everybody gets, you know, people can get, especially can get pretty uptight because that puts a lot of pressure is I'll stop the process and say, let's think about what can we improve right now? Right. We've got it running though. Yeah. Just let yeah. it go. It's let's like, finish no, the job. Yeah. yeah. No, don't just let it go because if it's long product, it's a long product. So weeks long, you, you we stop a here. You, you save a minute here. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, in sometimes it's not even about uh, saving, but just making it easier on the employee. Right. right? Can, uh, can we move? Can we rearrange the equipment? Can we move this closer so you got less steps? And the guys yeah. are like, oh, it's okay. I'm like, well, think you're going to do this uh, 2,000 times. And if you're walking 20 steps and we can cut it down to 10 steps and yeah. 2,000 times 10, right. big number, right? I, so I, I tell you, you know, I, I, I love this conversation. I could talk to you all day about this because uh, I, I've, I, you know, I've got a bunch of past lives too. And uh, a bunch of my buddies are pretty, uh, you know, OCD kind of <laughs> A-type control freaks. And, and not to say that I'm not. But, um, you know, we, we were talking about age and, and you know, just, uh, I think, a certain peace and confidence that comes with age. And, you know, I used to be a, just a consummate planner, like everything, you know, even moderately big. I, I would sketch out plans. I would try to predict step by step. I'd write material lists or, or this or that or whatever. And, and I've still got buddies that to this day do that, right? We were, we were just building a deck in his backyard. And... He had graph paper and grid and inventory and cut lists and all this stuff. And I grabbed it and I threw it in the trash. And you you would have thought that I, I threw his kid in the trash. And he was horrified. And he goes, what, what are you doing? That we're going to improvise. We're, we're going to learn as we go along. We know enough. We know what to do. But, you know, it's a pretty straightforward project. I promise you we're going to get 15 minutes in your plan. And we're either going to discover something we can do in a better way, or your plan's going to be off because you didn't think about something. So, yeah, you, you know, yeah. you you improvise. And, and at some point, you have the confidence in yourself and the toolbox that you've developed through life that whatever lands on your desk today, you you know you're going to be able to figure out a way through it. And and in fact, it may be fun. You know, the, the more of those challenges that land and and so what I what I'm sitting here imagining is, you know, you stopping these production lines and saying, no, 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 no. You know, like, let's let's look at this again, how that's infected the mindset of your entire team and and further how that's extended into their personal lives. And and, you know, when they're sitting at home with their families and you know, they're, they're faced with this or that, or, you know, I've got two little kids and inevitably when they come in with everything, you know, how, how do they handle the situations in their life? Because you've kind of infected them with this, this mental process. We, um, we like to use this phrase and do something, sit there. Dr. Deming used to say, you know, we all, you know, grew up with, um, uh, my dad was, 
you know, hard charger, right? <laughs> so I, I, when I, I bring into him, say, hey, dad, we broke $100,000 in sales this month. It was the first first time in our first start. He'd say twice as much will only be half enough. Yeah. And uh, that's how I grew up, you know? So when right. I broke a million, when I broke I a million, when I broke a million in sales, twice as much would be half enough. You know, finally, Oh. I hit 2.1 million in sales and said, no, that looks, that's good. Yes. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're good. We're good. But, but what I, but what Dr. Dimming, and, and I think that was a kind of a big change when I started Beerson is I, I started to really dig into Dr. Dimming's work. And when he said, don't just do something, you know, cause a lot of people don't just sit there, do something right. where Dr. Dimming say, don't just do something, sit there and think about it. So when you're, when you're in the mix and everything's going a hundred miles an hour, you need to um, stop, mm. let, you know, stop, put your, put your tools down and look up for a second and look at, look at the perspective of the overall. Don't, don't get so down into that minutia and the moment by moment that you can't stop and pull back from it and look at it from a different perspective, you know, and you can get so into the, the battle of the, you know, of what's going on that you don't take a step back. And that's why we say, you know, if it's, we got to improve on a large process, we need to improve early and often. So those where your opportunity is. Otherwise, wow, I did, you know, I did 2000, you've been running these for 20 weeks and I could have saved this many, you know, sheets of material or this many, this much tooling or this many back bend overs for my guys and lack of movement. And so that, that's kind of fun. And I, you know, I was thinking about how I'm, I'm going on and on about process, right? Cause I love it. <laughs> I love yeah. the process, but like, Oh, well, what do you make? I'm like we make lots of stuff, <laughs> you yeah. know, we make lots of different, we have lots of cool, innovative ideas and stuff, but it's process that is, is how you make things, you know, and that, and that ideas of how to accomplish it for, um, for customers and three form is um, the, the panel behind me is from three form. And um, we will rarely ever, show our customers products right right so when you look at what you see on our website we will rarely ever show a customer's product because there's a confidentiality that it's their sure. product it sure. is their product i right before this podcast i called and said is it okay if i show your oh yeah please yeah right. you know great and i said okay good because it's not about i'm not the designer I, I've worked with I work with a bunch of absolute amazing people uh, that are designers, and I'd love to just throw out all their names. One I can tell you because he he designed our trade show booths for a global shop is Stefan Anderson from Alu, and uh, we won best of show three years in a row at Global Shop. We're this right. little we've never been to Global Shop, <laughs> right? So I I said when we 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 were transitioning from. Um, manufacturing consumer electronics. When we started, we primarily were making consumer electronics parts for Boston Acoustics and for Bose and for Sony and for wow. Hitachi and for, um, uh, geez, Audio Products International. And anyway, tons of tons of those guys. We sold pretty much, my brother, honestly, I say my brother's a great salesman. He could get in and sell anybody because he's persistent and he really cares about people. Right. <laughs> He doesn't care about process. He doesn't look out his window. <laughs> he cares about people. This episode is sponsored by Uniboard. Uniboard, the North American leader in the design and manufacture of particle board, MDF, 
and decorative composite wood panels. Uniboard is renowned for having one of the most extensive product portfolios of engineered wood products in North America, ranging from deep embossed and synchronized TFL textures to ultralight MDF. Uniboard's products are sold to retailers, distributors, and finished goods manufacturers, which cater to the kitchen cabinet, furniture, office, home renovation, and construction industries. Uniboard, redefining wood. And uh, so anyway, we're selling all these people and, and making uh, Mitsubishi big screen TVs and Pioneer big screen TVs. We're making all this product and running, you know, nonstop. And in 2004, big screen TVs went away overnight. We were at CES. And uh, when the flat screen TV came out, it was $15,000 for a 50 inch plasma. Right. And it wasn't a very good picture. Right. And everybody had to have it. 15 right. grand for right. and people said I want it. I don't right. care how much it costs. That's when the industry realized we are not going to be able to sell these big ugly boxes with these beautiful decorative panels that Pearson's making for the front of them. It doesn't matter how good our picture quality is. Your wife, my wife does not want a big ugly box. And if you can have a TV and it can be this, you know, only this thick. Right. So the amount of decorative trim on you know, a, a 50 or 60 or 73 inch is nothing. Right. Yeah. So all of a sudden we, in 2004, we went from with just with Mitsubishi, we we're doing $400,000 a month of business with Mitsubishi in November. By February, we were under 40,000 oh. with just Mitsubishi. We were like a cat falling off a roof, right? Our sales were going down like, you know, an incredible fall, free fall. So I sent uh, two of our guys to Global Shop because I heard about what is store fixing. I had no idea what store fixing is. I'm not right. a big shopper. <laughs> right. right. I, I don't go to the, you know. So I send these guys, they come back and they say, not a single membrane pressed part. We couldn't find anybody that uses our product. So my brother, Dave, who's a salesman, and I look and say, great. And they said, what do you mean, great? I said, it's, it's basically, we just found the new world, right? Let's, right. let's. So we transitioned and we, we moved to that. So we visited Global Shop. Now, you know, my brother and I, Dave, went to Global Shop and uh, we, I went and I saw the most amazing booths. I loved it. I was like, oh my, <laughs> this stuff is beautiful. And right. if you've ever heard of Amuniel, sure, an amazing company, yeah. um, great people. So we go to Amuniel's booth and I felt like a stalker, you know, because I'm circling their booth for like two days and just amazed at the beauty and the creativity. And nice. I'm like, it, and I thought, okay, I want to build a booth. I, I want to show what I can make, right. um, but I'm not the design guy, you know? So I talked to one of our customers, um, Alu back in New York, their Italian company yeah. and their, de their designer, we traded them out, said, Hey, how about, you know, your next couple of orders, we'll just give them to you if you'll design our trade show booth. Wow. So began a relationship of him, their, their lead design guy would design our trade show booths Love and, it. and a uh, ton of fun, you know, making those booths. And, you know, we win, you know, little tiny company, we win best of show. We were like, what? This is crazy. Right. Um, and then we won a second time and then we won a third time, three in a row. And, and I realized, okay, at the same time as that is really cool and everything, it's awesome that he's a great designer. 
I realized our focus came off of serving our customers and we started being all about getting that recognition of we can build this the right. most beautiful trade show. I was like, wait, what's the purpose of the trade show? It's to, for us to serve our customer. And I think we were getting to a spot where it felt like we were competing with our customers. Right. So we backed away. I stopped. I stopped going to Global Shop, said, this is not, we, we've got enough contacts. We have thousands of contacts. We know, it, you know, we've got everybody's name that's in store fixturing. Right. So now it's more, we needed to not um, be showing the, the, that we can make all these really cool trade show booths and make this beautiful product that leaves people like the Disney people will come by and the Boeing people. Would, I mean, you know, we, uh -huh. we've had the same you know, parade of people coming by, but we don't sell directly to them. We make components for store fixture companies. Right. And they, they deliver that product. Yeah. So, right. so I had to totally rethink our strategy of, we need to go back to our roots of focus on the customer on listen to the customer. Don't listen to the customer's customer so much. Yeah. And you don't know? listen so, to ego. Yeah. Don't listen to and yeah, that that was definitely it. Because it had to be proud being there at the show. Everybody ooing and aahing, Disney yeah. and Boeing coming in, winning best of show. I mean, it, it would have been really easy to get sucked into that. Well, and we were. I was definitely sucked into it. And and then I realized, you know, we can't even follow up on all the leads. And these aren't really our customers that we're getting in contact with. We're getting in contact yeah. with our customers' customers, and we're not. That's not who we want to be. So, um, you know, I've, you know, we've pulled back from that type of marketing and now we are, our marketing brought in a marketing person. We didn't ever have them. We didn't have a marketing person right. per se. And we, we brought in a marketing person. That's the first thing he, he said to me was, you know, we need to define who our customer is. And that's, that, that was a radical change. Now that is, we do a different strategy for that. And, and that is where we've kind of tried to um, move the company from putting, you know, and, and I don't have anything, I'm not saying anything bad about Global Shop. It's a great, you know, that's a, that's an important, uh, important venue. But for, for me, uh, it's more important for me to focus on listening to my customers and mm -hmm. who I want that customer to be. And we do a lot of, so it's, it's not just store fixturing. I, and I don't mean to mislead what we do because we, we, we produce product goes in the medical industry for right. um, surfaces that, you know, medical that can be cleaned. We focus on architectural, the architectural business, like the products mm -hmm. that, you, you know, behind me. Um, there is, uh, there's still a good connection to the store fixturing, you know, mm -hmm. because displays, whatever. I'm really, um, I, I'm going to show you real quick. You probably know what this is, but I don't know if you've ever seen the click lock. So I went to, uh, I go to, I've been to Hanover for, um, well, before Hanover, I first went to Interbemol in, in Milan, Italy back in 1989. Mm. And since, and I realized the value of going to those trade shows. So Interbemol is the, um, is the other side of the German show, mm -hmm. right? So you're going every other year. So if you go to Germany, it's one year, the next year it's in Italy back and yeah. forth. So um, yeah, I've been to Interzoom, but Ligna is pretty much, you know, I love it. I'll go and I'll walk the floor and look at machines and processes. But um, I was a few years back, I was at, in Atlanta at IWF and I was building a trade show booth, which is, I love, I'm, I'll build trade show booths for my vendors sometimes. 
then I have to go down and I install it. My, you know, so um, one of our companies I was down, I built their trade show booth and installed it. Me personally, you mm-hmm. know, because I love doing that stuff. So it's like for me, it's a vacation. So I go down and I build the trade show booth. I walk in the floor and I come upon this booth and I see this. Right. And that's uh, a company from Sweden called Valange, and they have this click lock. So mm. you put it in there and boom, you're joint. So uh, also this miter fold. So you have a miter joint. I don't know how well you could see that, but you know, yeah, perfectly. It, it's, it's a, a tongue and groove with a lock. So you want to assemble a cabinet or a box and boom, Amazing. you're going. So we, we, um, I went to Sweden, I went, I visited them, I took the train, you know, went up and spent some time with them, talked about what I, I saw and how I, I see, I don't make it the way a lot of people would, would, would set up to manufacture it. I just have a different, and it's a challenge, it takes a lot of tooling, takes a lot, but uh, a lot of people think of, okay, you're going to get a, the whole traditional panel saw, double antenna, boom, 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 all these machines. I'm like, oh my goodness, the run size has got to be huge. You know, you have right. to be doing a project that's going into Home Depot and they're selling truckloads of it. Right. That's not that's not my business. My business right. is somebody needs this and they need to flat pack it because they install it in a store. So right. we want to we want to maximize the space in a truck. Um, we want to so. It, for the purpose of what I wanted, that that was something that I saw, and we still work. We're still working on that process and how to do that. Well, it's so. it's just another another problem that needs a process to solve it. Yeah, Don, you uh, you you are doing amazing things. I, I I could honestly talk to you all day. I don't think anybody else would stick around to listen to it. No, but, we're just um, having, we're just we're just rambling. Yeah, yeah. No, I I love it though. I I mean I I think. Uh, I think this is important. I think that, um, you know, my, my two cents, you know, without getting off on another tangent is, uh, is I think too many businesses have, uh, you know, are, are still brainwashed by that, that old GE approach of, of six Sigma and, and lean and efficient. And it's not to say that any of those things are bad, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, discover you know new amazing things when you're focused on you know just bleeding out every spare second of what you categorize as waste and and i just love um i love everything about how you're doing what you're doing and and i think it's inspirational and i think there's a lot of a lot of lessons that a lot of businesses can learn from um, in doing this, you know, so that, so that our, our products in our industry never become a commodity, um, you know, and, and, and never, you know, start that race to the bottom. I, I had a really great conversation yesterday with a, a, a great, uh, design guy. He's up out of Seattle and uh, Whidbey Island actually it was really fun. Young guy talking to me and he's got an amazing array of designs and I'm visiting with this guy and, and we're talking and, and, uh, I, I, I kind of explained to him, I said, well, on CNC machines, I've, I've had machines since, you know, 1989. So I've, I've had a lot of experience and I can hear, I can feel them. I can hear it. I, you know, when I'm watching a machine run, I, I know what quality is. My dad used to say, and I, I love this one. I share this all the time with people. It's the man without the right tool is already paying for it. 
<laughs> I love that. That is, you know, and I, don't, I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I that haven't. One, I that love one, when you, you know what that's like, you're trying to okay. do something and, and you don't have the right tool. You might as well have spent the money. Absolutely. So I have five hay and CNC machines. They're, they're, they're $400,000 for a hay and CNC machine. Right. You know, you can buy, a, I'm not saying there aren't great $59,000 CNC machines. I just happen to have five hands. The reason I have five hands is the first hand I have is still running strong, 21 years old. I've run two shifts. I've run, I don't know how many thousands of parts, but I did the numbers and that machine is costing me about $8 an hour right now. Eight bucks an hour, right? That's why I have five of them because they just go and everyone is configured differently. So there's four heads with four tool changers. There's horizontal uh, uh, planing tool with C-axis rotation. There's servo-driven head spacing. There's uh, piggyback. There's just a whole array because each one is a different tool. It's right. not like I have five of the same hammer, all the same size. I've got a finish hammer. I've right. got a sledge hammer. I've got yeah. a framing hammer. You yes. know. So if you think of... Uh, those machines and um, and because they're all the same in the sense of the same manufacturer, when you know how to fix them or you know what the problem is, you're not working with a Toyota and a in a in a Chevy and a Ford. Right. You know the fuel the fuel pump off of a Toyota will go onto a Toyota. You know those things right. are interchangeable. Yes. Um, yes. And then and then the relationship that you develop with the vendor. Um, and I, I would think that that would be the same if, if you had bought, say, you had bought a machine, a Como machine, that right. if you had, you'd be well served to have five Comos. Absolutely. Right? Because yeah. you develop a relationship with that company. And the, so I'm not, when I say that about Han, I think Han's a fantastic company in right. Hamamatsu, Japan. I've been there, you know, I went with the guys from Boeing to pick the first machine. Um, but whether that's another thing Deming's taught is said, Look, if you if you have a good vendor, stick with them, because yes. there's more to it than the price. Amen. It's not it's about total cost. So I'm not saying that um, you know because a lot of guys go, oh, you think you know that's the only the only no. There's great machines. CMS makes great machines. You know, Como makes great machines. Uh, Laguna Tools, the little little uh, right. they make. You know, yes. all guys are. So it's the there's a lot more than than the iron and the wires and the electrical. It's the people, right? Yeah. So if you develop a relationship with these guys, say, um, you know, any of these machine companies, you're developing a relationship that works, then you need to build on that and not just jump around, you know, all over the yeah. place. Because well, it sounds, Don, like, uh, you know, you're 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 not only preaching it. I mean, you're you're walking the walk too, because it sounds like that's how you run your own business and how you treat your own customers. And yeah. And I think, you know, if I were to, you know, encapsulate our conversation, I, I mean, it is, it's, uh, it's kind of what you started with is, uh, you know, your business is special and, and what you do in the end product is special because, you know, you're, you're in it for the relationships and the long haul and, and serving your customers. And, you know, that's, that's something we have in common. I mean, that's why we, we love what we do too, is we get to serve an entire industry with what we do. So right. it's, right. uh, it's a it's a great privilege and honor to uh, to have learned more about your business and uh, all the things that make you guys amazing. 
we always uh, we always wrap up the podcast with uh, with one question. One of the things that you know I love about you know being in the business that we are is you know we've got some publications that go back a uh, hundred years in this industry, and uh, you know some of them that I, I guarantee you know now that I know where where your family came from, I guarantee your grandfather was sitting at his desk reading one of our publications every day. And, uh, and, and the cool thing about that is they become a time capsule and, you know, you can go back in time and you can look at that and it's a reflection of that time and that mentality and what was going on. So we always close the podcast with asking one question, which is, uh, you know, of course the whole world will be watching and listening to this, of course. And, uh, of course, you know, 50, a hundred years from now, they'll be looking back on this, of course. Um, but what what is your message for the industry today in 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 this state in this time and the challenges that the industry you know faces as well as the opportunities what what's your message to the industry so uh, of the of the things that we talk about i mentioned the four things but the probably most important is being others minded you know thinking about others because i think for the benefit for for not just for ourselves like we talked about we're not looking so it doesn't matter how you and i look in this podcast right <laughs> it doesn't it just uh, it doesn't matter i mean i might think about it but when we think about others and and that relates to our vendors and our customers and our employees it's a great it's a great life when you focus on when you focus just on yourself and then, and, and, you know, you're not, you're a miserable person. <laughs> you can yeah. be, become a miserable person when we're focusing about other people. You start to see all the great things that other people do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so that to me, I, I think that that's who I want to be. I want to be, and I want a company to be. And I think for other people, as you do, you're going to, we're going to be more fulfilled in what we're doing if we're thinking about other people. Um, you know, and when you look at, we just had a tragedy here. Our, we had a fire come through our valley. And, yeah. you know, destroyed 2,600 homes in a matter of hours, you know, blew yeah. down the valley. Um, there's an amazing amount of outpouring uh, in our valley to help, you know, and that, there's a lot that 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 changes the whole equation of what's going on with all the tough. There's always bad things going on. So that that would be mine. Mine would say others, you know, thinking about others, not worrying about so much about ourselves or how we yeah. look or what other people think about us or how other people review this podcast. I right. mean, you know, what can it do? Help some young guy in, in business that's thinking about what he's doing. And if it helps somebody, that's great. You know, we all move forward. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So wise, others, wise others minded. Don Casebeer with Beerson. I, uh, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I, uh, I suggest everybody uh, dig deeper, look into this amazing company and uh and 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 reach out directly it sounds like uh don has an open door policy so uh so reach out and learn more about this amazing company don i really enjoyed the time thanks for joining us all right great visiting with you thanks for listening this podcast was created by surface and panel uniting materials technology and design see you again soon